Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good morning. Great to see all of you. Great to be with all of you. For those that are new or visiting, my name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Arbor. And also, these connection cards can also be used as complaint cards if you find that someone's being rude to you while you're trying to be nice to others. Okay, so go ahead. We take these into great account when we're doing performance reviews every year here at the church. So go ahead and take a moment, fill that out. I know I filled mine out. Um, all right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. Um, the section of Mark that we're going to be looking at today is a long section of Mark. It's about 21 verses in total, and it is three episodes. And these three episodes are the final episodes in a series of episodes that began all the way back in Mark chapter 4 with the parable of the sower. And, and throughout these uh, five chapters in Mark that we've been looking at, Mark 4, 5, 6, 7, and now 8 for the next few weeks, including today, um, we've been noticing something really unsettling, really unsettling. In Mark 4, remember, Jesus explained the parable of the sower, and he said this to his 12. He said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything is in parables. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Jesus said to the disciples, those closest to Jesus. But what have we seen for the last four or five chapters of Mark? We have seen episode after episode, chapter after chapter, that those closest to Jesus just don't seem to be getting this secret of the kingdom of God. They don't appear to be, as the chapters and episodes progress, any closer to understanding what Jesus was getting at than when they started. And in fact, the truly unsettling thing is is that after today's story, it seems like they're further away from getting it than ever before. And so here's how I want to like organize our time this morning. I want us, I'm going to read through all 21 verses of this passage, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the importance of seeing reality rightly, aka understanding the secret of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about how all of us in this room are much more like the disciples than we may think, and then we're going to talk about how that scary word repentance plays a critically important role in understanding the secret of the kingdom of God. Sound good? Yeah, okay, nine of you are on board. Let's go, all right? Here we go, Mark 8, verse 1, follow along. In those days, there was another large crowd with nothing to eat. So Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already been here with me three days and, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. And so just note here real quick that Jesus is just kind of like setting up the tea and the ball for his disciples, all right? And his disciples answered him, where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Swing in this, verse five. He asked them, 
How many loaves do you have? And they replied, seven. Then he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And after he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and began giving them to the disciples to serve. So they served the crowd. They also had a few, uh, a few small fish. After giving thanks for these, he told them to serve these as well. Everyone ate and was satisfied and full. And they picked up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. They were about 4,000 who ate. We've seen that before, right? Then he dismissed them. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. That is episode one. On to episode two. Follow along. Then the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation look for a sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and went to the other side. That's episode two. Now episode three. Now they had forgotten to take bread. What? (laughs) Except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. And Jesus ordered them, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So they began to discuss with one another about having no bread. (laughs) When he learned of this, Jesus said to them, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Have your hearts, have they been hardened? Though you have eyes, don't you see? And though you have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, seven. Then he said to them, do you still not understand? Father in heaven, we come before you and we humble ourselves and we want to understand. Lord, would you open our eyes, would you open our ears so that we would see and understand reality rightly. We want to know the secret of the kingdom of God and Lord, we want to live into that reality and so we pray that your spirit would do what your spirit does in these moments and make up, Lord, for for whatever mistakes I'm going to bring to the table, God, and would you empower this moment and use it in a special and supernatural way to draw us closer to the reality of the kingdom of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So um, last Saturday morning, Uh, My oldest son uh, wanted to make lattes for all of us, and so we have this like little finicky espresso machine at our house that my wife bought me for a birthday a few years ago. And, And here's the thing you have to understand about this espresso machine. This espresso machine is not like one of those espresso machines where you just like press a a button and all of a sudden you get like this perfect shot of espresso. This espresso machine requires like a master's degree level of knowledge to use it well. I'm not saying it's an expensive machine. I'm just saying it's a complicated machine, okay? And so Ethan, regardless, is like undeterred. And and so he gets the machine out and he wants to make us lattes. And so he gets to work. He pulls some shots. And then he starts to steam some milk, 
And for whatever reason, the little steam wand on this, on this espresso machine, it's not working. Now listen, I've had a lot of issues with this machine, but steaming milk is not one of them. And so I, I get up reluctantly off the couch and I make that kind of like parental sigh, like, oh, okay, here we go. And I go over to the machine and I look at it and I observe and notice quickly that Ethan does not have the steam wand uh, knob turned in the correct direction. And as I begin to call this out, Ethan like quickly interjects and tries to correct me And, I, and I, I say to him, I say, Ethan, this is my machine. Like, I use those exact words. <laughs> I say, Ethan, this is my machine. If anyone in this house knows how to use this machine, it's me. And he, he, like, he like, quickly gets quiet and lets me try to fix the machine. Um, now, without belaboring the story or burying myself any further, um, I was wrong, Okay. <laughs> I was very, very wrong about this, all right? Turns out that the steam knob on the espresso machine follows the universal principle of lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, okay? <laughs> the problem with the machine was that the steam wand was clogged with old milk. And, and here's, here's what I'm most ashamed to admit. Um, I went uh, a few days without owning this mistake with Ethan. I did, I did. It wasn't until Monday evening when Ethan was working on some homework at our kitchen table, I finally went down by him. I sat next to him. I put my hand on his shoulder because that's what dads are supposed to do in that moment, I guess. And, and I, said, I said, Ethan, listen, I was wrong. I was wrong about the steam knob. <laughs> and on top of that, I shouldn't have used the tone that I used with you. And so I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he looks up at me. And he smiles and he says, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. And he's like, yeah, of course I forgive you. We're good and we're all good. And listen, in order to use the machine the way it was intended to be used, you need to understand, you need to see the machine rightly. And what I proved in that moment with my son was that I did not understand, I did not see the machine rightly. And in a similar way, in order to live life faithfully as followers of Jesus in our everyday lives, we need to see reality rightly. We need to see reality rightly. And here's what I mean by this. You see, for many of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we can feel this disconnect in our hearts and maybe not so much here on our weekend gatherings as a church, but in our everyday lives. Because perhaps this moment right here, this hour, is the only hour in, in which we feel like our hearts finally come alive to that deeper desire that we have, that we, we, we feel like our heart is at home in this moment. But when we leave here and we go about the rest of our lives, we get up tomorrow morning and we go to work, we take our kids to school, we go get groceries, we run errands, we pay bills. When we're in the middle of that grind, we can start to feel this disconnect between the greater reality that our hearts have come alive to and, and, and the everyday lives we find ourselves currently living. And so for many of us, something seems off. Something can feel broken. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who feels that sometimes? Week to week as I go about my life, 
And listen, when we feel this disconnect inside of us, if we go a level deeper, naturally, what all of us are going to want is resolution. We, 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 we don't want to feel that disconnect. We want to bridge that gap between that deeper desire for something more and something fuller and something truer and our perception of our current lived experience. And so listen, going another level deeper, this is where we're faced with a decision in our lives. Whether we're aware of this decision or we make it subconsciously, and to make it simple for us today, we're faced with a decision to view reality in one of two ways. One way is we can set our minds and hearts on what the scriptures call the things below, the things of this world, the things of this life, in order to bridge the gap and the divide between that longing for this deeper desire that we have and, and this, this disconnect with our seemingly mundane, weekly, everyday lives. Or, or we can choose to see reality the other way. We can set our minds and our hearts on what the scriptures call the things above, the kingdom of God, to bridge that gap and lead us to something more and something truer, something fuller. But here's the catch. Here's the thing. That decision does not come without consequences. Because one way is a misunderstanding of reality. It's believing a lie, and it leads to greater emptiness. It, it, it leads to less fulfillment, while the other way understands reality rightly and allows us to follow Jesus in a more faithful and fruitful way. It's a way that leads to greater contentment. It's a, it's a way that leads to greater purpose, greater peace, greater fulfillment. One way, in the words of Jesus, sees and does not truly perceive the kingdom of God, whereas the other way understands the secret of the kingdom of God. And if you're still tracking with me, then I would just have you stop and ask yourself this question. Which way am I seeing reality? Which way am I currently seeing reality, because the stories that we have before us today, it seems like the disciples are viewing reality the wrong way, the wrong way. Remember, these disciples here are the ones that Jesus handpicked. He chose them as they were going about their everyday normal lives. He called them to something greater, something bigger, something truer. Like so many of us here today, Jesus' gospel proclamation, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, follow me, it resonated deep in their hearts and it, and, and it altered the course of their lives. Or did it? Did it? Because these disciples that we've been walking alongside all throughout Mark's gospel week after week, they just don't seem to be any closer to truly understanding what Jesus is talking about. In fact, they seem further away than ever before. And I think these three episodes that we're about to look at support this idea. And the first episode that we have, another miraculous feeding by Jesus of thousands of people, which is the picnic, picnic supplies of like one person, Jesus and his disciples, they're still on the other side of the lake. They're still in Gentile territory near that region of Decapolis that we were at last week. And these thousands 
have gathered together to be with Jesus because they've heard stories about the amazing, miraculous things that he is doing. They probably just recently heard this incredible story about how Jesus healed this deaf man. And certainly they also had in the back pocket the story of Jesus healing that man possessed with that demon named Legion. And so many other stories that aren't recorded here in Mark. And so these people dropped everything. And they dropped everything to be near Jesus, to be by him. They didn't even bring food. They had this like impromptu three-day fasting conference on the lakeside, you know? And they got together. They were excited. They were expectant. But notice the disciples. Notice the disciples. Remember, this, is their first rode- this isn't their first rodeo. Like, as I was reading that first part of the story, and, and if you were having a deja vu moment, like, no, 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 we already looked at this passage before, then you're reading it correctly. This has happened before. Jesus goes to a region. He heals some people. He does some miraculous things. Then thousands gather around him. They don't bring any food and they're hungry. And so Jesus takes the small amount of supplies from one person and multiplies them and feeds thousands. The disciples have seen this before. They've seen this before. But how do the disciples respond this second time? Do they jump on the opportunity after being with Jesus, and Lord willing, you would hope at this point that they're starting to become like Jesus, do they do what Jesus did? Do they stop and, and, and grab someone's bread and by faith break it in, in, in the, and see the power of the Spirit and the power of the kingdom go forth as, as God's Spirit multiplies one loaf into enough provision for thousands of people? Do they step into that opportunity and do that? No. Look at verse four. Jesus audibly expresses his compassion and his concern for this crowd. And here's why I think he does that. Because he's like setting up the tee and setting up the ball and giving the disciples a big old bat. And he's like saying, swing away. And what do they do with this opportunity? Verse four. His disciples answered him, Where can someone get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy these people? If I was Jesus in this moment, I would have lost my mind. I would have been like, I picked the wrong guys. This is terrible. I would have lost my cool. I would have been like, are you guys really not getting it? But like, I am definitely not Jesus. And because Jesus is so much better, Makes no comment, no snide remark, no sarcastic quip here in this moment. Instead, he just patiently and miraculously feeds thousands of people. Why didn't the disciples get it? Why why, why couldn't they understand reality rightly? Why were they still not getting the secret of the kingdom of God right here? Because I, 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 just, I, I can't believe they missed this moment right here. Listen, I think it's because of this reason. I think it's because these guys were still so deeply self-absorbed. And you might be like, Ryan, that's a really harsh critique of these guys. You really think they were that self-absorbed? Listen, the best way I can understand this scenario is it's like Jesus set them down and they watched the movie Sixth Sense. And then two weeks later, they re-watched that movie 
and, and completely forgot that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time, okay? Now listen, listen, if you have not seen the movie, I ruined it for you, okay? But it's like 20 years old, okay? So that's your fault, right? That's your fault, all right? Listen, like the disciples, we can miss the kingdom when we are self-absorbed. We can miss these kingdom opportunities when we are self-absorbed. I, I can't help but wonder in this moment right now how many kingdom opportunities each and every one of us miss all the time because we have gotten so self-absorbed. We are preoccupied with our needs. We're preoccupied with, with feeling comfortable, content in our routines and, and we are comfortable with the known that we make little to no room for acts of faith in our life to allow God to move in ways that are beyond ourselves. Like for example, like maybe there are some of us in this room who've got a close friend or, or a neighbor or, or someone we really care about and we're like, man, I would just really love for that person to follow Jesus. And so we've been thinking about them and, and maybe we pray for them and maybe because of the fasting series last month we've been like fasting for them too. But let me ask you this. Have you ever gone out on a limb and sat down with that person that you care so much about and share with them how Jesus has absolutely transformed and changed your life? Have you ever sat down and just been like, hey, like, can I tell you about what Jesus has done for me or, or does Jesus come up naturally where you can say, hey, yeah, this is what God's doing in my life right now? Have you ever invited them to church? Or does the thought of doing those things terrify you so much that you would rather just stay in, in, in your comfortable bubble in the known and, and in what is the usual routine of life? When we do that, listen, we miss out on opportunities to see the kingdom of God break through on earth as it is in heaven. And we miss it because we're in our own little bubbles. We're self-absorbed. Listen, the disciples missed out on this like right there in front of them opportunity, I think because they were so self-absorbed. They were too self-absorbed to see the opportunity right in front of them. It pains my heart to think of all the opportunities in my life that I've missed out on because I was thinking about my routine and being comfortable and going about the things that I know and not stepping into the unknown that God is calling me to. The problem with the disciples is their hearts and minds were on the things below and not on the things above. We can miss the kingdom when we are self-absorbed. But what I really find interesting in this story is that Jesus doesn't call this out on the disciples right away. He like patiently just allows the situation to unfold. He, he gets someone's picnic supplies, he blesses them, he multiplies them, he feeds thousands, he sends them on their way, and then he gathers the disciples to go to the other side into Jewish territory again. And now what Mark doesn't record here are any conversations that happened in the boat on the way back over. And maybe that's because Jesus was just like, I need, I need a breather. <laughs> I need to cool down. Maybe this boat ride was really quiet. Maybe it was like awkwardly quiet. You know that awkward quiet? Husbands probably know this after saying something they shouldn't and getting back in the car after leaving a gathering of friends before, you know. 
Just me. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Just me. It's been a long time, though, since this happened. Um, listen, here, here's the next thing we see in this story. The next thing we read about is them getting to the other side of the lake. And that brings us to the second episode in this story where we're joined by that notorious cast of characters, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees here just like came right out of the box ready to fight. Look at verse 11. Then the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, asking for a sign from heaven to test him. And listen, it's kind of like, dudes, have you not been paying attention to what Jesus has been doing for like the last seven and a half chapters of Mark? He has been performing miracle after miracle, sign after sign, but here's the thing. The signs and miracles that Jesus was performing were not the kinds of signs or the sign that the Pharisees were looking for from Jesus in this moment. And how do we know this? Because Mark says that they wanted a sign from heaven to what? To test him. To test him. And the Greek word for this phrase, test him, is, is this word, peirazzo. And Mark uses this word earlier in his gospel, all the way back near the very, very beginning, when Jesus was in the wilderness being, what? Tested or tempted by Satan for 40 days. Mark 1.13. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days enduring temptations, peirazzo, from Satan. And so what Mark is doing by using this same word is he is aligning the Pharisees' motivation with Satan's. That's not not something you want. And so what was the Pharisees' motivation? What did they want? Well, this is what they wanted. They wanted a a once-in-a-generation sign that would be seen by all of Rome by by all of those sinful Gentile individuals who were taking over their land, by all of those other other hell-bound outsiders to see once and for all the the prestige and power of the God they worshipped. That's really what they wanted. But does that sound so bad? Like, Like for all of these individuals to see the power and prestige of God on display. Well, here's the thing. They wanted this so that they could be vindicated in the good, quote-unquote, that they were doing and have their positions of power and prestige and privilege secured. And so really at the core, these Pharisees didn't care about the kingdom of God They would have said they cared about the kingdom of God. I'm sure they would have even believed that they truly thought that they cared about the kingdom of God. But really what they cared about were their own little kingdoms. That's what they cared about. They missed the secret of the kingdom of God even though Jesus was right there before him. And they missed it because they were concerned with self-advancement. And again, we can miss the kingdom when we're we're all about self-advancement. We can miss the kingdom when we're all about self-advancement, self-promotion. We misunderstand the reality that we live in right now when we're more concerned about prioritizing and advancing our own little kingdoms rather than the kingdom of God. And for many of us, here's what I think we've done. Whether we know we've done this or we've done this subconsciously, we have repented and believed the good news of the American dream. That's what we've done. 
And we've built our lives around this, and as a result, we've, we've become preoccupied with, with keeping up with other people, and, and man, I, just, I need to get that promotion, or I need to get into that circle of friends, or, or, or I need to improve my image through uh, the clothes I wear, or the car I drive, or, or the vacations I take, or, or how I look in general, and listen, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. It's cool to get promoted. It's great to make new friends. Buy a new t-shirt, that's fine. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's what can motivate those things that can be the problem. And what can be the motivation? It's the desire to achieve a fuller, truer, more meaningful life through self-advancement, through self-promotion, through more through securing more for myself so that I have enough and being so concerned and preoccupied about that. And listen, we can trick ourselves into thinking that no, the real reason why I want that is I wanna provide for my family or X, Y, and Z. We can come up with all of these other reasons and then we can begin to co-opt God into this self-advancement project of ours just like the Pharisees. We could cry out to God and be like, God, I really need you to come through and get me this thing. It's a desire of my heart. And and like the Pharisees, we demand a sign from heaven. You know, because I think that if the Pharisees truly understood the secret of the kingdom of God, they would have known how antithetical self-advancement is to the mission of Jesus. Because at the heart of the kingdom of God is not self-advancement, but rather this, listen, self-denial self-denial. In just a couple weeks, we're going to encounter and dive deep into these critically important words of Jesus. Mark 8, 34 through 36, he says this, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and because of the gospel will save it. For what benefit is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his life? You see, at the very epicenter of the kingdom of God and the ministry and mission of Jesus is a complete, listen, a complete subversion of our understanding of reality. The first will be last. The last will be first. The greatest will be least and the least will be greatest. It's a radically different understanding of the nature of power and prestige and what's truly valuable and what's gonna burn up and fade away at the end. This concept right here, listen, when we get this, And when we get this down in our bones, and listen, it's not an overnight thing, this is a lifetime process, but when we get this concept, we will, for many of us, for the first time, begin to understand that faithfully following Jesus in this life is one of the most fulfilling and fruitful things we can do. When we get this, that disconnect that some of us feel starts to resolve. All right, let's get back to the story, wrap things up. So Jesus obviously doesn't give in to the demands of the Pharisees, doesn't give them the sign they're looking for. Instead, he and the disciples get right back in the boat and go again to the other side, and now we have the third and final episode. 
Now, early, earlier, I mentioned that I found it interesting that Jesus didn't address the disciples right there in the moment when he fed the 4,000. But here we have Jesus finally speaking up to the disciples, and he gives them this warning. Look at verse 15. He says, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. What does that mean? (laughs) What is going on here? Like, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I am going to be thinking about food because I have no idea what you're talking about right now, Jesus. All right, quickly, for the non-bakers in the room, here's what yeast or leaven is, okay? Um, And I'm a non-baker, all right? So this is important for me, too. Um, It's this little piece of dough that's fermented that you mix in with a larger piece of dough, and it eventually causes the whole thing to rise. How many of you knew that, right? You guys are so smart, all right? Listen, oftentimes, that is used in Scripture as a metaphor for the negative effects that even a little amount of sin can have in one's life or in one's community. And so Jesus, he finally breaks this silence with the disciples, and he gives them this pretty stern warning. He says, beware of this thing. But, but how do the disciples respond again? What, what, what are they thinking about? And what do they think that Jesus is actually thinking about in this moment? It's food. Look at verse 17. So they began to discuss with one another about having no bread. They're thinking about food. And they think that Jesus is thinking about food. And so they start to talk about food and how they don't have enough food. And it's like, Peter, you only brought one loaf. What are you thinking? There's 12 of us. Again, if I was Jesus, I would lose my cool right here. But the disciples, listen, like we shouldn't be surprised. The disciples do what they've done this entire time. They miss it. And again, I don't think they miss it because of self-absorption or self-advancement. Listen, I think they miss it because of self-preservation. And again, like like the disciples, we can miss the kingdom when we're preoccupied with self-preservation. We can miss the important ways that God is at work in our midst We can miss the subtle and unique ways that the kingdom of God is breaking through in our everyday lives when we're overly focused on, listen, making sure our needs are met, making sure we're safe, making sure that we have everything we need. And now listen, I'm not saying again that it's bad to like be safe and and be a good steward of those things, of of life and, and all that it includes. But listen, Jesus has shown time and time again that he has the power to provide and protect. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus can create a feast in the midst of a famine. Jesus can cause the wind and waves to cease with a whisper. I find it so interesting that it's often in our times of greatest need that we see God come through And we see the kingdom of God break through in unique and powerful ways in our lives. We can miss the kingdom when we're preoccupied with self-preservation. And so, let's wrap things up here. At the very beginning, I asked you to ask yourself this question, which way am I seeing reality? How am I seeing the world around me? How am I understanding my life as it plays out in real time? And so often, our reality is contaminated with this thing that Jesus talked about the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod. It can be contaminated with self-absorption, self-advancement, self-preservation, 
And simply put, this way of seeing reality is the way of self-orientation. It thinks of my comfort and my desires and my needs first. But listen, this is a way that never delivers on what it promises. And it is a way of living that will miss the subtle and wonderful ways that God is at work in our lives, our everyday lives. And so what's the way out? What's the way out of this self-orientation? Well, at the beginning of Mark's gospel, do any of you remember what the very first word out of Jesus' mouth was? It was the word repent. Repent. Now, this can be a kind of scary word for so many of us because we usually associate it with like really angry fire and brimstone preachers. Or if you've ever been to the Seattle Mariners game, you see that guy who's like preaching hell and brimstone right there on the entrance and you think like repent and it's like that's a scary word. But listen, I don't think it's such a scary word. I think it's actually the key to understanding reality rightly, to understanding the secret of the kingdom of God in church. It's what I want to call us to today, is repentance. Because that word repent in the Greek is this word metanoia. And oftentimes when we've defined this word, we usually define it as like we were going one way, we realized that way was wrong, and so we turned around and went the other way. And I think that that definition is like partly true and it's good and and some of that is happening. But listen, what if this word repent also means something more? something bigger, something more expansive. What if faithfully following Jesus doesn't just mean doing all of the things that Jesus says are good and not doing all the things that Jesus says are bad? Because you see, this word metanoia is actually two Greek words smashed together. Meta, which means beyond, and noeo, which means to perceive or to understand. And so one way to understand and define this word is something more like beyond your present understanding of reality. Beyond your present way of seeing reality. And so often we just think in our lives, man, I need to stop doing this thing. And through some act of will, we like stop ourselves and we turn around. But I believe that Jesus is saying when he says repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he wants us to stop and pull back and see life through a fundamentally different lens, a fundamentally different set of eyes. And so Jesus isn't saying stop doing that and start behaving differently. He's saying stop, open your eyes, and begin to question the way you've been seeing and understanding reality your entire life. Follow me. Open yourself up to something bigger and better. Cultivate your heart to bigger and better things than the things that you've been going after. And so in this way, I don't think repentance is scary. I don't think it's intimidating. I think it's actually quite exciting because it leads us to a whole new way of seeing reality. And I think as we follow Jesus into this journey of repentance, he helps us to see reality rightly. So would you stand with me right now as I pray? And would we just quietly before the Lord right now Would we just sit with that question right now? How have I been seeing reality? How have I been understanding my everyday life?
the day-to-day routine, the grind? Have I been feeling that disconnect in my life? As we approach God, would we just bring all of that to Him? What's really going on inside of us? What's really going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds? And Lord, we just invite you to work. We invite your spirit to work in our hearts right now. Lord, I invite you to work in the hearts of each and every person here today, God, who who longs to feel that connection with you, who longs to feel that disconnect bridged so they would be able to experience the fullness of what you have to offer. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we would see. God, would you help us to be a people who pays attention day in and day out to the ways that you are working and operating and moving in our lives. Lord, Lord, I pray that when we get preoccupied with the things below, when we fix our mind and our hearts on the things of this world, God, would you gently draw our attention upward to something bigger and something better? Lord, I can think, Lord, so often in my life, week after week, where I get preoccupied with the things of this world, Lord, And I I feel this disconnection, Lord, and I can just only imagine that so many others in this room feel that exact same thing. Lord, we want to be a people marked by your kingdom. And so, God, I pray that you would call us to something greater, that we would hear that call this morning, repent for the kingdom of God is near, and that you would open our eyes to a greater reality. That when we see the things that we have been going after, Lord, that you would just remind us there's nothing there for you the fulfillment you're looking in that thing, the joy that you're looking for in that thing, it's not there, it's over here with me, God. Would we hear you call us toward that, Lord? We offer ourselves to you, God, with hearts of repentance, we pray, amen.